Is that your prayer? Do you want Jesus to come? Are you ready for him? Because he's coming soon. He promised this. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we so look forward to the day when your son comes and we are reunited with him as a church. He's coming in the clouds. And Lord, someday he'll come and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will break open in half and the whole world will see who this king is, Jesus. Oh God, I pray that he would come. Rescue us. Do your great work. Lord, I pray that each one here would, would know of this Jesus. And as we open up your word, Lord, help us to be encouraged. Help us to be challenged. Help us to find what we've been seeking. Lord, if there's some here today who are skeptical, Lord, I pray that they would, they would see the truth, the truth of who you are and the truth of your word. Lord, I pray against every dark power, kingdom of darkness that would try to distract us. Instead, Lord, we would see your light and we would shine forth that light. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen and amen. Think back to one of the things that you have been most excited about to be coming to an end. And as I thought about what things that I was most excited about in my life that came to an end was every June, right? When school was done. Weren't you excited? The elation of when school was done, no more homework, no more assignments, no more tests. It was all finished. It was time to have freedom. And your elation was only outmatched by the teachers, right? They were really excited about that. Well, think about what we just said about, even so, come Lord Jesus. Like a billion times more, the elation you had will we only see Jesus. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome to see our Lord. But I was thinking about school, and I almost always was elated, but there were a couple times where I had a little bit of dread do you know why? Because in my backpack was a report card. <laughs> and there was an occasion when I knew that I didn't give it my best, that I didn't give it my all, and I was going to have to show that report card to my parents. See, just like school sometimes has great delight at the end of it, and sometimes it has some disappointment, that will also be true when Jesus comes back. And today, we are going to take uh, a midterm report, if you, as it will. Um, and it's not something that I'm going to grade you on. It's nothing that you have to show other people. It's something that you have to reconcile with yourself. You have to grade yourself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So today, I know this is a little bit of a pop quiz, but you get to examine yourself to see whether you are really of the faith. 
That's an important question. Because you're here today, it's a beautiful day, and you could have been doing a whole bunch of other things, but you are here to have an interaction with God and to engage with God and for God to speak with you and to examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith. This is a spiritual progress midterm report. And we're going to find out um, from the book of Daniel, as we conclude to Daniel, how to process some of these questions. And we're going to come to some conclusions, really crucial understandings of the end of the world. Maybe you're here today because you see all of the, the trouble in the world and you're like, the world's going to end soon and I need to know how it's going to end. God's word will tell you the answer to that question. Maybe some of you today are um, skeptical and yet you also know that just trying to fix it on your own, whether you're religious, spiritual, whatever, you realize that that's not going to solve the problem. I want to tell you again today that God's word will give you hope. And Daniel, this ancient book written 2,500 years ago, will give us help. Now, as we conclude the book of Daniel um, for the foreseeable future, uh, and we, we're not in the book of Daniel for that foreseeable future, let's continue to pray that the book of Daniel is in us, that it remains in us. We've learned some amazing truths let me just walk us through, and if you, just, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We'd love to give one to you today. This is for you to keep, and you can look up at the table of contents and find the book of Daniel. There's 66 books in the Bible, and, uh, and all of them ultimately point to Jesus. But let me just quickly walk through Daniel just to catch you up on this if you're new with us or just need a refresher. In Daniel chapter 1, we talked about the fact that Daniel and his four friends uh, they, were, they were actually taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of the Babylonians. He came and laid siege to Jerusalem. Why did he lay siege? Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been cheating on God. And God says, enough. And I need, I need rest for the land. I need repentance. And so the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem. And in 586 B.C., they carted off, first of all, they killed all the nobles, but they carted off the young people. And I look at some of you today, and it would be your age. And they made them walk 800 kilometers to Babylon from, from Israel, the land that we're praying for now and thinking about, about the Jewish people. They were carted off, and they were re-educated. They were renamed and most likely castrated. And in Daniel chapter 1, where everybody else was doing exactly what the, the Babylonians said, Daniel and his friends, they showed character over conformity. Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this story, Daniel comes to the forefront, and he is chosen, and he, he's chosen by God to tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in this case, we find that with all the confusion and all the experts in the in the in in Nebuchadnezzar's court, there's one who can tell the dream, and it's Daniel, as it's given by God. It's downloaded to, to Daniel um, by God, and he had confidence in what God was saying would come true, and it did come true. Then Daniel chapter 3. 
Nebuchadnezzar decides to make this golden image. And here's where we pick up Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and what? Abednego, right, yeah. And he, uh, these three, these, he, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, made this golden image, and everyone's supposed to bow down, but not those three friends. They chose their convictions over compromise, and they were thrown into the fire, weren't they? And yet God rescued them from the fire. Daniel chapter 4, we read about the fact that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he gets too big for his britches. He becomes proud and God humbles this man and makes him eat, uh, eat like an animal. And what a reminder that we need to continue to follow God. We need to be consistent over our complacency, especially when we have a lot of success. Maybe that's you today. You're in a place of great success. Be careful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Chapter 5, we have the famous handwriting on the wall. And here, Daniel shows his contentment in God despite the transition that was going to happen from the Babylonians to the Persian Empire. And we see contentment of Daniel over corruption. Daniel chapter 6, probably the most famous um, passage in Daniel. It's Daniel and the lion's den. Here's Daniel at the end of his years. Like he's, he's older, probably 80 plus years old. He wanted to probably go back to Jerusalem and be with the first wave of Jews. King Cyrus had come on the scene and he's the new king of Persia. And this had been prophesied 200 years before in Isaiah chapter 44. 200 years, skeptics, before that God mentions Cyrus. Cyrus makes this decree that the Jews had been in Babylon for 70 years. They're able to go back, and they start going, the first wave. But Daniel, faithful Daniel, he doesn't get to go back. And instead, he has to serve a pagan king named Darius. And what ends up happening? Daniel's thrown into lion's den. And he shows his courage over cowardice. Then chapter 7 and 8, we see that God is sovereign over history because it is his story. And we see that through all the mutant empires that would be forecast of, of the, um, the, the end of the Persians and the Greeks. And then we would see the Romans. And, and ultimately, there would be a king that would come that pointed to Jesus. And the first coming of Jesus, when he came and he destroyed all other kingdoms, in the heart, and that God's kingdom would change us from the inside out. It was a great hope. That's chapter 7 and 8. Then chapter 9, we see about the perseverance of, in prayer. We continue as a church, want to be persevere and pray. We want to confess. Daniel confessed on behalf of his family and his nation, and may we do so too. May we intercede for others. Daniel chapter 10, we talked about the fact that um, we find strength from God's word, even in the midst of visions and difficult times. Then last week, Dr. Wayne Baxter talked about the God's sovereign over the kings of, of um, the south and the north, and he oversees succession plans, and he's always in control, and he directs the affairs, and he even directs and is over when we as his people are persecuted. Hopefully that brought you a lot of comfort. And today, we're in chapter 12, and it's not just the end of Daniel, but it's talking about the end of the world. So that's a quick overview of Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to learn some crucial understandings about the end of the world. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Daniel chapter 12. Again, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We'd love to give one to you. 
Here's what we read in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written, found found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. We learned back in chapter 7, verse 25, that that is three and a half years. Continuing on, it says, And that when the shouting of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. May we be able to stand and rest until Jesus comes back. You may be seated. Amen? So God has created this world, and someday Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to recreate the world. One person uh, told me once this, he, they likened it to um, God is making this big sandcastle, and he's going to destroy it someday. But he's not just going to leave nothing and just sand. He is going to recreate it better than ever. The problem is, is you might wonder, well, how did the sandcastle, why does he need to get rid of the sandcastle? What's wrong with this world? Well, as you see, there's lots of evil in this world, and we have corrupted it. We have been given charge by God in this world to take care of it, and we have not done a great job, right? For being honest. So there's four crucial understandings of be prepared for the end of the world. And we find in this passage in Daniel chapter 12. The first is this. Only God's people will be rescued. Only God's people will be rescued. We see this in verse 1. It says, at that time. Now notice that at that time is emphasized. It's emphasized um, 
three times. At that time is the three, first three words. Then we see it again at the end of the sentence, since there was a nation till that time. And But at that time, your people shall be delivered. And you might go, well, what is this time? We always need to read the Bible in context. So go back to Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. And it talks about, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Who is this him that is coming to an end? As we walk through Daniel, this is the Antichrist. This is the one who will oppose God and his people. And the Antichrist is both a spirit and a person. The spirit is, it's, it's Antichrist meaning that it's been uh, a spirit of being opposed to God down through the centuries. Satan has always had his guy ready to come on the scene and oppose God. Satan is not equal with God. Satan does not know all that God knows. God knows everything. And so Satan has his guy ready and waiting to take on God. And down through the centuries, we've seen Antichrist type of figures. One of those that is most well-known in history is in the second century BC by the name of Antiochus IV. He was the eighth king in the Seleucid dynasty and of the Greeks. And he went into Jerusalem and he did such wicked things. He stopped the Jewish practices of, of worship. He, um, he didn't allow circumcision, that covenant practice of the Jews. He even went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on it and then put an altar of the Greek god Zeus. Can you imagine how wicked that is? So Antiochus was one of these Antichrist figures, and we see them down through the centuries. I've said before that maybe Hitler was one of those type of Antichrist type of figures in the last century. And this is well documented throughout Scripture. The Antichrist. And so we use the Bible to help us understand and interpret the Bible. I love it because when we see that and think that all is lost, God comes to our rescue. God comes to our rescue. If you turn in your Bibles to the very last book in the Bible, Revelation, you can, you can Google this. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. We, we find this description where it talks about that. It says, now... Daniel, or Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Now war rose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. We find this persecution. But if we go on in verse 11, what does it say? How do we overcome this persecution? It says... And they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word of their testimony. So it's by the shed blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who came down to earth. This is where we find our righteousness. This is how we are saved. This is how we overcome the evil one. But also our testimony. That's one of the reasons why we gather as a church, to tell the God stories, to tell about what God has been doing in our lives. And then we tell others and we witness of this. And we try to go talk about Jesus in the highways and byways. We try to bless others, as we heard earlier. And I hope that you will do this, this this season as you're sharing the gospel with others. 
We find great hope in this. And that 1,290 days that we, we talked about later on, that we read about in Daniel chapter 12, that's pretty similar to the three and a half years of this great tribulation and these, these challenging times. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, just giving you that background information. We hear, have here at this time, and then Michael... Michael, a great prince shows on the scene. Who's Michael? Michael is the archangel. He's the angel of God's people, Israel. And don't you love it when it feels like everything is lost and a hero comes and God sends a hero? In this case, it is Michael. And Michael doesn't actually protect the people from their suffering, but he delivers people from the suffering. Do you see that, what it says? And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What book? The book of life. Exactly. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you trusting in Jesus for your everlasting life? You might be asking, well, what happens to those who aren't in the book of life? Again, go back to Revelation chapter 20, verse, um, starting in verse 11. I think it's up on the screen as well. And here's what we read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who's the him? It's Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. See how the Bible's interpreting the Bible here? And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And say, I thought it was about faith. Our faith has to be lived out and shown in action and obedience. Our good works doesn't save us. Our obedience doesn't save us. But if you don't have obedience that is matched up with faith, do you really have faith? That's the argument of James. Verse 14. By the way, if you look at all the judgments in the Bible, it was always based on what people had done, what they had done faithfully to the Lord. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written into the book of life, uh uh-oh, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. The rest will perish. So it begs this question. There's four crucial understandings. There's also four questions for us today, and here's it. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Say, well, rescued from what? My friend, Pastor John Thompson, talks about being rescued from the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world and its system. Most of of human beings now just live for the world. They live for the world um, for its power and its prestige and its possessions. But Jesus wants to rescue us from that. Or we live for the flesh. We live for ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves. But Jesus rescues us from that so that we live for others and bless others as we heard about earlier in the service. 
We're also rescued from the devil, that we no longer have to give in to the deception and the despair and the discouragement that the devil puts on us all the time. Jesus rescues us from that. So are you rescued by Jesus? Has he saved you? Has he delivered you? Michael saved the Jews, and it was a future time that he would save, but doesn't this point us to somebody greater than even Michael, Jesus, who will save us? Only God's people will be rescued. Are you one of them? Here's a second crucial understanding from this passage in Daniel chapter 12. Only God's people will be resurrected to everlasting life. Only God's people will be resurrected to everlasting life. Now, everlasting life has both quantity and quality. The quantity is kind of easier to understand, right? Um, The quantity is from the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, you will forever be with Christ and his forever family. Eternal life doesn't just start when you die. It starts now. That's why we're to live differently. Okay? But that's the quantity. That's the time. Let's think about the quality. Jesus explains this to us, this whole progressive revelation. Earlier, we read in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and sealed the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. There's this progressive revelation until we get the time of Jesus. And Jesus makes more clear what we're learning here in Daniel. And so this is what Jesus says, what eternal life is. He makes it really simple. In John chapter 17, verse 3, one of the last prayers he prays before he's betrayed and he dies on a cross and rises from the grave. And this is what he says. And this is eternal life. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That you have a relational knowledge of God revealed through Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. You say, well, I don't really want to know Jesus. You will not know eternal life then. They go hand in hand. The quantity that you want is required first by the quality of knowing Jesus. And that's why the resurrection means that we can be faithful while suffering and even some maybe having their lives lost. But you say, well, what about those who are resurrected, are not resurrected to everlasting life? Isn't that what we read? What does it say in verse 2? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life. That's the promise of only God's people will be resurrected to everlasting life. And then notice the second part, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yikes. Let me try to explain. Every human being that's ever lived will be resurrected. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and contempt. The reason why everyone 
will be resurrected and not annihilated, their souls not annihilated, is because we are created the image of God and you cannot destroy the image of God. You can mar the image of God, which has happened. Think of, um, think if there was a, a statue, maybe in town, and somebody did something horrible to that statue and they lopped off the nose of that statue, right? They have marred the image of this human being. And that is what has happened. Our image, the image of God has been marred. But it hasn't been destroyed. And so every human being that's ever lived will be resurrected. The question is, which resurrection will you experience? Everlasting life or everlasting contempt? Jesus promised this himself. He talks about this. In Matthew 25, verse 41, this contempt. And this is what he says. This is the words you never want to hear. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal life prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the shame that we would experience as we go before the great white throne of judgment that Jesus, we will all stand before someday. We do not want to experience this shame. Because we will miss out. And then there will just be contempt. Jesus talks about this previously when he tells a story about these servants and this one servant who was wicked. And it talks about in Matthew chapter 25, I think verse 30, it says this. We have it up on the screen as well. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what we're talking about. It's just full of regret. Oh, I wish I would have believed in Jesus. I wish I would have known him. Why didn't I? People, I heard the gospel and I didn't believe. And for all eternity, there'll be just regret and contempt. It would be way worse than saying, I missed that assignment in school. I didn't do my best on that test. This is the hope that we have, beloved, to believe in Jesus and not to experience that shame and contempt, but to actually have eternal life with Jesus. So it begs the question, Will you be resurrected to everlasting life or shame and contempt? And I got to tell you, with all the love in my heart, today I have, by God's grace and his help, tried to explain to you that the gospel is that, that God's son came to rescue us from our sin problem. He died on a cross after being sinless and perfect, and he rose again and you just heard the gospel, and if you don't believe this, you will remember this day. And you will look back, and you'll say, I had my chance to follow Jesus, and I didn't. I sure hope that my words are giving life to you, and you don't have to remember them in contempt. This is a crucial understanding about the end of the world, isn't it? The third crucial understanding is not only that God's people will be rescued and resurrected, resurrected to everlasting life, but the third crucial understanding is God's people will reflect his righteousness. Isn't that what you see in verse 3? And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You know, you know people say when you're younger, you're a star. 
Well, guess what? You are a star because of what Jesus has done. That's where you glow. That's where you shine. Because of what Jesus' righteousness has come upon you. Have you ever met somebody who just seems to radiate the love of Christ, even if they've gone through hard times? It's glorious. To shine this righteousness is talking about their purity, their, their, um, their integrity, their godliness. It, it's, someone has said this, it's like the moon, right? The moon doesn't generate light, it reflects the light. And yet the light is in us as someday like stars we will bring glory to God. And as we've read through Daniel, hasn't Daniel and his three friends reflected the righteousness of God to rulers who actually killed his family, killed their families, and, and they were renamed and re-educated and castrated and had horrible things, and they're living with all these pagans, and yet they are, they are shining brightly in that darkness. And you can too, by the help of the Holy Spirit to reflect this righteousness of Christ. So do you re reflect God's righteousness? Remember, you're testing yourself to see you, of you are of the faith. And I say, well, John, I really want to. How do I, how do I reflect righteousness? A repeated phrase throughout the Bible is, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. By faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So we trust in Christ to help us to do what is righteous. This is, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We belong to Christ, and Christ is working in and through us. This is the righteousness that we need, so that we can shine like stars forever and ever. So that's the third crucial understanding of the end of the world only God's people reflect his righteousness what do the unrighteous what do they reflect they reflect wickedness they're dim they're flash in the pan the fourth crucial understanding is only God's people will be refined only God's people will be refined. That's the fourth crucial understanding of the end of the world. We find this in verse 10. Look at it. Look what it says. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And, the none, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. This wisdom does not come. It's not self-generated. It comes from... How, where do we get Wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord, right? That's where we get wisdom. We, we believe in Jesus. We, we fear him. And we have this refinement that happens. And right now, probably most of us in this room are being refined in some form or fashion. Maybe you're going through a, a big-time refining situation because you're going through a real struggle in your life. And I want to remind you and encourage you today that you, as you're going through that hard time, that God is refining you. He's polishing you. He's refining you so that you can reflect his righteousness, which we just talked about. 
Daniel went through 70 years of refinement. And he was a lot better than I am as I'm trying to process these questions. And so I need refinement. You need refinement. Pastor Aaron Burke said it this way. I was listening to a podcast, and he said, we live life forward, but we understand it backward. In other words, most of the time in life, you're like, I, can't, I don't know exactly what's going to happen a few steps in front of me. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, God, look what you were doing. Look in the rearview mirror. Thank you, God, for helping me when I was just about to go in the ditch. Thank you, Lord, when I was slip and sliding all over, my face started to doubt. Uh, Lord, thank you, God, for the fact that you saved me from that wreck of my life. And so we look and we, we go, God, you have, you're refining us. And we, this is where the, the divine human cooperative, we are still responsible. We need to work with God. That's why when it says many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, this is not just a self refining project. This is God helping us in that refinement, that he is that refiner's fire, as we read about in other passages. But what about those who aren't refined? They are defined. They are defined by wickedness, but the wicked shall act wickedly, as it says, verse 10, and none of the wicked shall understand. They're ignorant. So beg the question, this is the fourth question today, as you've taken this self-test, the spiritual midterm progress report. Are you refined by God, or are you defined by wickedness? So, John, how do I, how do I help me? I've been answering these questions. How do I pass the test? Well, Daniel was told in verse 4, and is repeated again in verse 4. Daniel shut up the words meaning the words, the vision of God. And today, that's what we need to do. We need to take the words that we've been studying today and we need to seal them in our heart and make them a part of who we are and live them out. That's what God is calling to us. That's what our action point is today, that we would, we would seal up the word of God in your life and be encouraged. And that we would trust in this Jesus who died for us I want to read, conclude by telling you a story. I love church history. It's a book called On This Day. It says, The churches of the northwestern United States grew rapidly in the early 1800s, fueled by one revival after another. And the new Christians had theological, little theological education, yet many of them began to discuss details of biblical prophecy with great vigor. Speculation boiled over as to the exact day and year when Christ would return, and among the spectators was William Miller, Miller of New York. Miller, when newly converted, had torn into the prophecies of Daniel, the same book that we've been studying, concluding in 1818 that Christ would return in 1843 or maybe in 1844. When he later began preaching, this theme became a keynote of his messages and his listeners finding earnest, eloquent, and sincerity in his voice, they multiplied. Many came and heard William Miller. He finally announced that Christ would return to earth on October 22nd, 1844. What day is it today? 
The financial panic of 1839 contributed to the belief that the end of the world was approaching. Enthusiasm for Christ's return became so great that prophetic charts were added alongside stock market listings and current events in the newspapers. Can you imagine that? And Miller's teachings swept through New England and large numbers espoused Millerism. Uh, as the morning of October 2nd, 22nd, 1844 dawned, a sense of fear and foreboding fell over New England. People gathered in mountaintops and on tops of churches. And normal activities ceased as everyone awaited the sun, sudden rending of the skies and the end of the world. When the day passed, uneventfully, many Christians grew disillusioned. The unsaved became cynical. The following years saw a decline in conversation, conversions, I should say, and the period of revivals came to an abrupt end. The event became known as the Great Disappointment. Are you putting your trust for this end of the world in a date or in Jesus? In a date, you'll be disappointed. In Jesus, you'll find great hope and joy. I'm going to give you a moment, and our band will be playing in just a moment, but I, I think that God is really impressing upon us some things today, hasn't he, from his word. And you need some time to talk to God about this. Whether you're just kind of seeking, going, I don't know if this that's about church and Christianity and Jesus, but what you said really started to get me think, thinking. Others of you, or maybe you're just spiritual people, but you know that you can't control everything that is happening in the world and there's influences that aren't working in your favor and you need something outside of yourself. Others of you have been skeptical. We talked about a song earlier. Is your life on Jesus or on shifting sand? Answer that question. Just you, between you and God. For the rest of us, who maybe are believers in, are you trusting in Christ alone? Are you sealing up his word in your heart? Are you living in righteousness and reflecting and being refined by Christ? Whatever God wants to do in your heart, take a few minutes right now before we sing. Father, thank you for giving us a, a chance to have this exam before the final, the final exam when we stand before your son Jesus in judgment. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would have heard the word of God and anything that I've said that is not of you, Lord, I pray that that would just be forgotten about, but your words would be remembered. And Lord, I pray that your, you would speak by your spirit deep into people's hearts. Help us to be rescued, resurrected to everlasting life. Help us to welcome the refinement and may we reflect the righteousness of Christ. For others of us, we need a different art. We need to repent. We need to repent of going our own ways 
and we need to follow Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. God's people said, amen.